the DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. Hello, everybody. Back to the Browns Beat Podcast with Michael Hogue and my co-host, Justin Higdon. You can follow us on Twitter at Browns Beat, and Justin is at AFC to NFC. Uh, Justin, we are now celebrating Victory Monday for the first time in... So, what's going on with you? What, what, are, your, what are your big takeaways from the first uh, Sunday Browns win in forever? It's stunning to have a Victory Monday. Like, usually when we're talking about victories on Monday, it's we're talking about uh, Ohio State or some of the other college teams that we follow. But to, to get an actual Browns Victory Monday, it feels good. It was ugly. It was very ugly getting there. But the result is what's important here. And the fact that it came against Baltimore, a division game, Baltimore was three and one coming into the game, and the Browns actually walk out of this game now two two and one on the season, but almost more importantly two zero oh, and one at home this year. So everybody that's buying tickets is actually getting rewarded, and I don't know that you can really say that since probably what like two thousand seven. So this is uh, maybe for a time in in that uh, twenty fourteen run. When they started out seven and was it twenty fourteen when they started seven and four? Yeah, it was twenty fourteen, right. Yeah, it really we really haven't had a lot of bright spots to talk about. The fact that we're talking about four years ago and eleven years ago, it, it really tells the tale. It's exciting. Uh, Baker Mayfield again looks like the player that they wanted when they drafted him number one. You can we can pick little holes here and there. And, but, and we can also point out that all four of the top rookie quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round all won their games on Sunday. But Mayfield has looked sharp. He has overcome some bad penalties, some non-penalties, uh, and some drop passes. And he just looked comfortable. He made a huge play when he connected with Derek Willies, an undrafted rookie, in overtime to make – to get a big 39-yard catch and run, take them out of deep from their own territory and really get them down in position to win the game. So uh, outstanding result. You know, again, ugly getting there. Outstanding result. And, Mike, we have a hero kicker this week too. Rookie Greg Joseph nailing a 37-yarder, I think, off a tipped kick. So uh, the – you know, the football gods were smiling on Cleveland this weekend. I feel like the final kick, the one you're just you're talking about, the, the game-winning kick, time pretty much expiring over time, it came off, his foot looked great, everything looked perfect. Tony Jefferson slid inside Darren Fells. The ball trajectory immediately changed. All I, all I could see in my head was flashbacks of the, of the kick six of week one against the Steelers. I don't know if it was the football gods, and if it, if it was, then it's about time. I don't know where they've been for the last three years, but... Last 19 years. Yeah, not, last, yeah, last forever. <laughs> <laughs> the feelings that I had watching the ball fly, and it was it seemed like it was in slow motion. There was, Everyone was holding their breath around me. Not, not many of them were Browns fans. I think they were all just... Uh, just, like, pulling for me, I, I think, because we, we were talking to the tables around us, and... Just seeing it go in, not having a lot of time to like reflect on it, it was just unbelievable. I, I, I can't put it into any any better words than that. I did not think it was going to go in after after I saw Jefferson fly across the line of scrimmage like that. Um, 
Yeah, special teams continues to be our our big topic of discussion. Every week, it seems like we have the young kicker now made a mistake, missed another ex- missed an extra point like uh, Zane Gonzalez had done earlier in the season. Missed a game-winning field goal from 55, a high-pressure spot from the left hash. Uh, hard to blame him for that one. Yanked it really far left, wasn't, didn't really have a chance. Hey, he's just, he was too juiced up for that kick. It's, just, uh, you know, it's a lot to put on a, on a rookie like that to, to have him go out there and get 55 yards. I think we all thought they could get a little bit closer before they tried that kick, but they didn't, they didn't try to for whatever reason. They went for the kick, but uh, again – I think guy came through off the tip. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Jefferson tipped it through. Maybe. Maybe he was going left. We don't know. We don't know. We don't care. <laughs> what, what? Like you said, the special teams, it's just been a thorn in the side. It, if you look at some of the film breakdowns, and we're going to talk to Jake Burns, who does uh, great film breakdowns week in and week out, but if you look at some of the other film breakdowns, some of the still shots that are floating around on Twitter, you can see there seems to be problems with the way they're lining up for these kicks where they're not accounting for defenders in certain areas and they're not making adjustments. It falls on coaching to get that stuff done. I think Doug Lamarice has had a great tweet late in the game before the Browns actually pulled it out. And he said, the Browns are exactly as good as their opponents each week, regardless of who their opponent is. That's great, but not great because it just, speaks to the coaching. I think this was a huge win, though, to get them over the hump because it it almost looked like for a time they were going to be 1-2-2 two, and two walking out of this game. And that would have just felt that would have just felt like a gut punch. And to get that win, 2-2-1, two, two, and one, we're talking about a week five victory here on a day, unfortunately, where the Cleveland Indians got swept in the playoffs and we're still excited. You know, we're still upbeat because the Browns are doing well. So that's a plus that we're taking out. And it's, you know, we're not going to be Debbie Downers today. No, yeah, as much as I'd like to talk more about Amos Jones and the special teams, they did have a field goal block in the game, which took three points off the board. Overall, Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward had himself another game after weeks one and three where he was maybe the best player on the field. Um, as of today, he's the second highest rated pro football focus covered corner in the league his grade is the second best in coverage so overall he's not rated rated as highly but Denzel Ward made made the play he needed to he Emmanuel Agba got his hand on the ball he I, I, I didn't believe that he caught it either on that play I it looked like he might have hit the ground I was waiting for the replay to show it hit the ground but he cradled it scooped it and the defense, the defense came through despite giving up a lot of easy stuff to Flacco throughout the game. He he seemed to have his way with the, with them for the first few quarters. They they tightened things up a little bit at the end and kept him out of the end zone, which was again something that they they've had to do, but they've done it. I mean, they've made the plays that they didn't make last season, and right now the Browns have a plus eight turnover ratio, which is the best in the NFL and. This time last year and throughout the whole season, they were at the bottom of the league. They ended up with a minus 28 ratio. So anytime that you can make those turnovers and and stop teams from getting in the end zone, you're going to significantly increase your chances of winning games. And that's what we've seen so far. They've, they've got the players now that, that can make those big impact plays that change games. Whereas in the past, we just really haven't had guys like Ward 
and Mayfield on offense who are going to make those those clutch plays that that other guys in the past weren't making. So those two draft picks are already paying huge dividends. Yeah, you know, we've been we've been kind of critical at times of the day two picks because they don't get on the field. Uh, Austin Corbett doesn't play, and, and uh, Nick Chubb, he, I think he got 11 snaps this week after getting three very high-profile snaps a week ago, and then Chad Thomas being inactive again this week. But if the number one and number four overall picks, Mayfield and Ward, they continue to play the way they're playing, it, it really is going to make, you know, bring goodwill for the entire draft class and for John Dorsey, the GM. So uh, we talk about the defense, and they've been fantastic this year. And they play the New Orleans Saints, held Drew Brees to uh, 20 points. They tied Pittsburgh. Uh, they, pull, they hold Baltimore to nine points this past weekend. Now they've got another tough test coming up against Phillip Rivers, a guy who has only taken six sacks all season and a guy who's only thrown a couple of picks. He gets rid of the ball quickly. We're going to get into it more with Jake Burns, and then we'll, we'll talk about more at the end of the show. But the defense has to keep this momentum going when they play the L.A. Chargers at home this weekend and see if they can keep that, those good vibes at home going too. Oh, definitely, Justin. This is, this is probably, I mean, easily their, their biggest test so far to this point. And if they don't continue to make those stops and, and those big plays that we've been talking about, then Rivers, Rivers is a guy who can change games and pretty much dictate what you're going to do. And he can change Greg Williams' approach completely just, just by making these quick decisions and getting the ball where it's got to be. On that note, we're going to do some more Browns-Ravens recap with Jake. But let's get to it. Let's get him on the phone. We'll talk to him about the the Ravens victory, the Browns victory of the Ravens in Week Five, and we'll look a, look ahead to the Chargers coming to First Energy Stadium next week. All right, everybody, we're going to welcome our guest this week. It's the Orange and Brown Report, and waiting for next year's Jake Burns. He, he can be found at Jake underscore Burns eighteen on Twitter or at Browns Film BDN. Jake, what's going on, buddy? Hey guys, not much, man. Um, uh, obviously, soaking up this Monday victory sort of thing getting used to this feeling it's it's weird it's different but you know it's it's a good feeling breaking down a ton of tape but happy to join you guys love what you're doing and i really appreciate you having me on yeah man you you came into this in the last year is that correct yeah so i i had coached and 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 done some different things on a personal level life took me in a different direction so i uh i really had an oh you know an itch to, to scratch with football so I decided to kind of, you know, I'd always been on Twitter, but hadn't really engaged with people like using it as a true medium for communication. And um, yeah, jumped into it like a year ago when I started waiting for next year and kind of realized like in the Browns Twitter corner of, of, you know, corner of Twitter that there really wasn't anybody breaking down film consistently. So I thought it was an angle that people would like. And um, yeah, so far people have liked it and it's taken off and it's a good thing. And, and really this, I mean, I'm, I didn't have intentions of making a career out of this, but it it's shifting in that direction. So a lot of good signs. I've met a lot of awesome people. You got you guys included. Um, and it, you know, it's awesome. It's, it's a good group of people that care a lot about an organization that's trying to turn it around. Yeah. And you picked a great time to get back in, to get, I mean, to get into the swing of things with uh, Baker Mayfield being drafted and the team obviously winning some football games. I've been covering the team for about seven years now, I'd say on and off. Different, different, mm-hmm. different capacities, and there hasn't been a lot of winning to write about. So, getting getting to analyze tape 
during a win and actually pointing out positives might be a little bit more fun than not. So <laughs> I, I don't yeah, that, it's not, that was a rough 16 games last year. That was really rough. <laughs> yeah. It, effect, it affected everybody the same. Um, it's maybe, maybe even worse in the locker room. They had a, they had a tough, a tough stretch the last three years or so. So like, like you said, you've been breaking down some film and we recommend everybody check out your work at Brown's film breakdown. I mean, those are, those are some really high quality clips that you post each week and they're very informative and educational. So everybody check that out if you're not already. And Jake, I want to first ask you today about Baker Mayfield. Uh, we saw Pro Football Focus's grades came out today. He was exceptional and deep passing. He finished with the fourth highest grade of any quarterback this week. However, ESPN's QBR rating had him at a 34.5 for his performance in week five. What are some things that you saw after going through the tape that uh, kind of supports Pro Football Focus's uh, evaluation over maybe the equation formula that the QBR uses? Yeah, I think QBR plays heavily in the sacks, and some of the sack stuff wasn't on him necessarily. I think there was one that I recorded of the five that were on him, truly on him um, from a quarterback perspective, and that, that kind of ties into like route development. You know, is it a sort of intermediated as a long game route development sort of thing? And uh, I, I put one of them that was blatantly on him, and he kind of worked out of the pocket into a sack, and, and it was it was his fault. But um, yeah, for the most part, he he was who we've come to expect over the last two and a half games. Pretty decisive, uh, li- likes to rip it outside the hashes, but will certainly come inside the hashes too when defense is given that opportunity as a live arm. Uh, he's he's decisive when he needs to be decisive, but also we saw a little bit more wizardry within the pocket, keeping plays alive, that sort of stuff that you need at uh, AFC North stadiums as the weather turns sort of crappy. Cause this game, it wasn't really a crappy game, but it was in terms of weather, but it was, I, you know, I was at the game and it was, it was certainly chilly. It was certainly foggy. And it certainly felt like that windy sort of mid fifties AFC North type of game where it even gets a little colder. It just, it felt like that game that we've lost so many times to the likes of Flacco, to the likes of Roethlisberger. And, you know, it just, it, it, it was really neat to see him sort of display the full package of what we think he can be. He can obviously drive the football downfield had several nice throws deep downfield, putting it where he needed to put it. a couple smash, con- smash out concepts to Higgins uh, down the sidelines, one to his right, one to his left early in the game, uh, in the first half, I believe. Actually, the second smash to Higgins was just in the start of the second half. But then the, the Mills ball touchdown, which is a Mills concept, which is it's just really just your, you have two receivers. You're going to send your outside guy on a post. You're going to send number two to that side on a square in, usually about 10 yards. You're reading that play side safety. If the play side safety jumps to the 10 yard in in front of his face, you're throwing that post over top. And he did a really nice job of reading that play side safety and threw that touchdown ball to Higgins. So, um, I mean, guys, it's every, it's everything we want. I mean, he's decisive, accurate when working off of um, accurate when working off base, which when we talk about off base, where his feet and legs and hips are going a different direction than where he's throwing, he was making plays on the run, a couple balls that should have been caught that would have definitely bumped up that QBR one to Callaway, one in the Joku, just kind of offhand. The Joku was scrambling to his left Callaway. He threw that ball to his left on the sideline on a deep comeback route. That was just so well-timed and Callaway got his arm hit when he was trying to turn up field. That's a conversation for another time, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's the full package of what you want your NFL quarterback to be, playing in tight spaces, being able to rip it with anticipation, being able to throw with accuracy, and just having the bravado that sort of raise the, 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 the vibe of your team. And it's, it's different for me being in a stadium or being really involved with the Browns in all these years I followed them, where it's like every time my team runs out on the field, I feel like, all right, we can score this drive. And that's a cool feeling. It's not something that we're accustomed to. Yeah, you made. So, Jake, I want to. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Jake, man, you made you made a lot of great points about um, everything that we saw from Mayfield in this game, and basically since we've seen him at Oklahoma, the throw to to Higgins on the smash by the sideline in the red zone is one that stands out. He completed just fifty eight percent of his passes again this week. Uh, last week, we know they had nine drops, which accounted for the lowering of his uh, his completion percentage. After rewatching the tape like you have, we talk a lot about catchable passes. What would you say after rewatching the tape his numbers would look like adjusted for, for balls that are that should be caught? I mean, I don't have a perfect number for that. I did see Brendan Leister. Brendan and I have a lot of discourse. We do these YouTube uh, Brownstone breakdown videos together on Mayfield off and just really in the offensive uh, aspect of things. But I think Brendan had tweeted to somebody who asked that question about his adjusted completion percentage was something like 74.7%, which is, which is silly good if you eliminate drops. Now there are going to be variables that come into play with drops. Whose fault is it really that sort of stuff? But there's, to me, he is a mid to high sixties completion percentage guy who can, in the right offense, in the right year, with the right personnel and the right health, can find 70%. So um, I, nothing but positive things to say about ball placement, about accuracy in general, throwing catchable balls. It is, it is an adjustment that is going to continue to take place for the Browns wide receiver group. You work the entire preseason, you work the entire camp with a guy who doesn't have his live and arm. Uh, that's no secret that Tyrod does not have that sort of pop that, that Mayfield brings on each and every throw. So there's an adjustment that no matter how many times you go on the judge machine it is going to be an adjustment. Just spin rate is it's real. It's, it's something you got to get used to. And then you have some guys who aren't sure handed as they need to be Antonio Callaway, David Njoku. Those guys are going to drop a ball here and there. It's just kind of who they are. You hope they're good outweighs their bad. So he's, you know, with this offense, this structure, this sort of what Todd Haley's asking him to do, throwing the football downfield instead of less, you know, quick screen game. I think they threw really one true quick screen to a wide receiver that they actually broke off for about 11 yards. So he doesn't really get any of those easy throws like he did at Oklahoma. Um, But no, to me, he's a mid to high 60s completion percentage guy. That adjusted completion percentage number is going to paint that picture for who he is. And the tape backs it up. You you mentioned uh, earlier that you uh, you credited him with basically one sack that was kind of his fault. So that leads me to ask you, about the offensive line, uh, in particular the two offensive tackles. Mike and I have talked a lot about Desmond Harrison this year, obviously, because that's kind of been a big story. Who's going to follow up Joe Thomas? And now uh, today, after a couple weeks of, of kind of you know good feelings about the offensive line, in particular Harrison, today I saw some blowback about not just Harrison but the other tackle, Hubbard, on the right side. Um, breaking down the film the way you do, What's your takeaway with these guys? Is Harrison a guy they can move forward with at left tackle? How much of a concern are the, are the two tackles to you? Great, great question. So what we saw a lot of in the first four weeks of the season 
And especially like take, for instance, last week with the Ravens or sorry, geez, the Raiders, um, you know, Bruce Irvin and Arden Key are not play through you type of edges. And, and really the only play through type of edge I think he's seen was, was, was TJ Watt. And he didn't really mess with TJ Watt on occasion. Even he, he had more Bud Dupree. So we're talking Desmond Harrison, obviously at left tackle. He hasn't really had a really physical defensive end that he's matched up with. I'm kind of trying to think offhand here. At least not an, a notable name that, that a lot of us would be able to point like, oh, that makes sense, the way we do with Terrell Suggs. So it's no secret anybody who's put out a scouting report on Desmond Harrison knows his weight has been an issue. He weighed in low at camp – or sorry, at senior at the Senior Bowl. He put some weight on. He's approaching that mid-290s sort of number. But he is by no means an upper body strength guru. He is not strong from the waist up. So – when Terrell Suggs really gets it, I mean, Terrell Suggs, you don't play Terrell Suggs every week. But when you let him anchor you the way he is being anchored, he was just being driven on his heels all day. So that is the type of player that Desmond Harrison will struggle with, not the guys who try to finesse around the edge or even try to introduce a sort of swim or spin. Those types are not something I expect Desmond Harrison to struggle with because he has really good feet. I mean, the athleticism is real for the kid. He's, it's never been a problem for him coming out of high school and going to Texas like he did. Um, you know, before he ended up where he ended up after the uh, issues at Texas, it's never been an athletic issue. So what he's going to have to figure out over the next year, um, two years, is how do I anchor? How do I figure out a way to get stronger against bull rush types who just say, I'm going to put you into the quarterback's lap because your quarterback's six foot and he's going to struggle to see as is. And that's what you know Baltimore was doing to him. And that's what they were doing to Chris Hubbard too. Now, Baltimore... I'm not sure Cleveland will play two teams with a better defensive line than Baltimore. So I'm not the same way. I'm not going to let the first four weeks be the end all be all for Harrison. I'm also not going to let those, you know, one game dictate whether I think he's just, let's take this entire sample size and throw it out the window. The kid will find ups and downs. There will just like anybody who plays in the NFL, you're going to have good matchups, bad matchups, bull rush types are going to be something that he's going to have to figure out because the tape is out. The answer's out on this kid. And, and that's going to be something that he has to just in the off season. Is he going to change up how he gets his upper body movement, his torso work, his bicep to, to shoulders? That's something that he's going to need to get with uh, number 73, the hall of famer walking around the building. How do I figure this out? And he, you put him on a plan and he figures it out. So he's not young by any stretch, but that he's, he's in his, you know, early twenties, 24, 25 area. You can certainly get stronger. You can figure that out. So it's there for him. But to, to answer the rest of your question, the, the guard center guard are fine. They're, they're not a problem at all. They played well. Thought Zeitler had one of his better games this year. And then right tackle is kind of Chris Hubbard hasn't been as good as we hoped he would be. He's having some what I the, the vertical set issue is I think he's having problems with. He's hitting landmarks. Guys are turning the corner on him too much. And he's really getting driven a little more than we would like to see him getting driven. Both of those tackles had issues with Brent Urban and, and Terrell Suggs just being anchored into the backfield. And as a quarterback, you cannot have your two tackles. It's really discomforting to have two tackles being driven into your lap, even more so than a guy beating your tackle upfield because you can step up. But when they're just being sort of angled into your lap, it makes everything feel so confined and it makes you feel so uncomfortable that you have to you have to first – Think about his thought process. Think about this, guys. As a quarterback in the NFL, 
I got to know so many things pre-snap to post-snap. What does the coverage look like pre-snap? What is it post-snap? Where are they bringing extra guys from at the second or third level? Where's the rolling coverage going once the ball snap? I don't, I don't really ever want to feel uncertain about my offensive line because that's another element of thought process that has to go into things. And I do think that that was something that Mayfield had to deal with, which is an even bigger reason why I'm more impressed with how he played Sunday because, you know, we pointed that big throw to Derek Willies. If you watch that play, and I broke it down on the OBR and I did a little bit of tweeting with it, he has to put his left hand on Harrison's back just to stop Harrison from running in him and bowling him over before he evades to the right and throws that ball off base, off balance to Willies. So it was a factor. It is a very big factor. I'm not going to let sample size overrule the first four weeks where I thought the unit had been pretty good. And, and they're not going to play many teams that are as good as as good as Baltimore up front. So I, I don't have a great answer in terms of like here's the the overall meaning, but it's just like okay, you got good matchups, bad matchups. Baltimore is going to be a tough matchup for really everybody. Let's see how they do going into into you know the Chargers game here. They don't have Joey Bosa, but you still have um, Mr. Ingram. So um, that's going to be an interesting test still. You mentioned that pass to Willies, and uh, Derek Willies, undrafted rookie out of Texas Tech, he stepped in and basically played the snaps that Rashard Higgins was getting after Higgins left with a knee, knee injury. And now we know that Higgins is out two to four weeks. He's got a sprained MCL. Um, we, we talked earlier about Callaway. He's had some issues with some dropped passes. So there's your top three receivers. you got Jarvis Landry, Callaway, and, and – uh, Rashard Higgins, who's now going to miss some time, it appears, and it sounds like from what Hugh Jackson has said, that they're going to try and fill that void internally. Does that mean more play for Willies? Does it mean Rod Streeter? Does Damian Ratley finally get a chance, or are they going to move guys around like Duke Johnson, David Njoku? How do they fill this void now that Higgins, who's really stepped up this year, is out for a few weeks? Another good question. I'm not entirely sure. I know that obviously Richard Matthews was in working out. It seems like he got out of Cleveland. I don't have the vibe they're going to sign him. I don't have the vibe Des Bryant is a viable option. So you're right. They're probably going to fill this void within the, what's in the building. They played Njoku at a lot of X. X is your backside split in on the ball receiver. Normally manned by Callaway. They will line him there so that they can have some positional flexibility the Browns run a lot of 11 personnel where that's one back, one tight end, and they use Njoku in a lot of trips formations, whether in line or in a two-point stance off the ball sort of thing. So they do different things with them. They'll align them at X, but you're right. They're going to have to get something from one of Willie Streeter or Ratley. And I, it doesn't seem like Ratley's being taken all too seriously, which is a little bit disappointing. But Derek Willie's had a really nice preseason and a nice camp, and he's got some size to, to his frame. He obviously showed the ability to catch and run. And that's, you know, sometimes these are the situations where guys rise out of nowhere. So uh, I'm, I'm not all too confident in what's existing behind Callaway and existing behind Landry. But if it means we're getting Duke Johnson involved more, if it means Njoku's getting involved more, at the end of the day, I'm okay with that. But I do think that they are thin. I would prefer that they brought somebody else in who's a little bit more trusted. But I also understand that, just a couple of weeks without Higgins isn't any reason to panic by any stretch of the imagination. So it does, I do get the vibe that they don't want to bring anybody in or that they aren't going to bring anybody in, but we're just going to have to kind of see how it goes. There's enough talent to win games still, even without Higgins, but 
you could certainly see the budding relationship in camp and preseason and now into this game. So I'm kind of forming an article right now on the relationship between Higgins and, and Mayfield. It's a real thing going. I hate to see that interrupted for any long stretch of time here. Hopefully it's only a few weeks. MCLs are kind of weird and the flexibility and all that for a guy who's cutting a lot. So we'll see. I, I just, you know, I, I don't see anybody. I certainly don't see anybody that's a lot to be signed. So we're going to have to find those answers within. And luckily, like you said, they have, they have some names that can do those things. And I think Duke Johnson, we've said it for two years now, they got to find a way to get him involved more. And there's no better way to get this guy on the field more now than in the slot in certain situations that arise. Yeah, great points, Jake. Uh, Baker and uh, Derek Williams have been working together for, for quite a while, going back to the beginning of training camp. He he ran, mm-hmm. he ran with the second offense a lot. And then in preseason, we saw his big big catch radius and those uh, goal line shots that Baker had with him. Um, yeah, they worked out a couple other guys today, Josh Huff, uh, Francis Owusu, and Rashard Matthews. But like you said, all, all the signs seem to point towards using Willies and Ratley and uh, whoever else they can find. Fill those snaps. Um, speaking of injuries, briefly, like kind of transitioning into looking ahead to the Chargers here. EJ Gaines filled in for Terrence Mitchell, who was playing exceptional prior to this, prior to the injury last week. And um, this week, the Browns D is going to have a little bit of a harder test, similar to the Raiders, where a quarterback who can get the ball really quickly is only been sacked six times to this point. So there's going to need to be. A, a big effort from the, the guys playing in the slot this week, whether that's Body Calhoun or TJ Curry or whoever whoever the Browns line up in that spot on any individual play. What did you see primarily last week from the slot defenders on the Browns, if you if anything stands out? And um, what do you think about EJ Gaines filling in for that for in that number two cornerback role this week? Yeah, EJ Gaines played his butt off, looked really comfortable, uh, and that's good to see. Not that the Ravens are presenting you with a ton of dangerous options at wide receiver, but he, he looked comfortable. He played a lot, a couple back shoulder balls. I thought he played well, broke on the ball well. He made reference on Cleveland Browns Daily this past week about adjusting to life not starting because that is difficult on some guys. And he had said, you know, I've spent the last two years starting, and, you know, I love Money Mitch, and it's I'm, I feel heartbroken for him that he went down. and. I never want that to be the route to starting, but this is where I'm most comfortable. And he really looked comfortable. And, and, and he was everything that they want their number two corner to be. Hold down, anchor your position, you know, make a couple plays on, on opportunities that are presented. You would keep everything in front of you and, and be as sure as you can in the tackling aspect of things. And he did well. He performed pretty well. I'm not sure what his graded out number was, but I think it was one of their top five defenders. So um, defensively. So, we're just gonna have to see how he looks in a in a more challenging setup against the Chargers. So in the slot, they obviously played TJ Carey. I thought Carey had a better game, obviously, than he did in Oakland. I don't think Carey is a perimeter corner. I think he's going to thrive in the slot. They paid him a lot of money, and they need to get something from him this year. And in the slot is where I think he will do best. They have seemed to have after Week One, where Body Calhoun was really torched. By Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't. I don't think they have much faith in him in the slot right now, in terms of being able to say, "Hey, go line up out there and cover the slot and and one on one and and make a play." They don't have trust. I think they only played him one snap, guys, uh, this this past week on uh, Sunday. So, yeah, I, I think that they're going to have to they're going to have to get a big presence from the middle of the field because you made reference to only allowing six sacks. So the Browns, obviously, the the, the issue with their their defense is down the middle of their defense. Their linebackers, their safeties, 
can be a weakness at times. I thought Flacco missed a couple throws that they could have had to score points. And it's no secret that the Browns are spot-dropping zone coverage guys. They do not hunt routes very well. And that's why we see a lot of tight end routes. That's why we see a lot of clear out. Run your, t- you know, run your running back on what some people call a Texas route, which is sort of a you're selling the flat route out of the backfield, putting your foot in the ground and cutting back inside. It makes some people call it a V route, but you'll see that route thrown against them all the time. Quarterbacks take advantage of it, so we're going to have to see, man. You think if I'm San, or sorry, it's not San Diego anymore. If I'm the, you know, the LA Chargers, I'm thinking, what did Oakland do that nobody else is doing? Oakland got the ball out fast. They got their tight ends involved. They used the middle of the field. They used rub routes and man-to-man coverage situations. And they put a burden on Brown's safeties. So that's what I think they're going to do. Keenan Allen is obviously very special. Last year, he had 10 catches, 105 yards, and a touchdown. Really worked out of the slot quite a bit. Bunched alignments, which bunch alignments are pretty popular in the NFL anyway these days. But it's it's it, it almost makes everybody feel like a slot player. But nonetheless... He's effective. He can be effective all over the field. One of the best route runners in the NFL. Last year, Hunter Henry, who's not healthy this year, but nonetheless, between himself and uh, Antonio Gates, they had 10 catches for over 100 yards from the tight end position. So tight ends, Melvin Ingram's a nice receiving running back out of the backfield. They obviously have Austin Eckler, who needs to get more touches for them. He's their running back threat. Uh, Catching the football, very explosive player. And then it comes down to – you have Philip Rivers, who is is Mister Get the Ball Out, sidearm gunslinger, quick. He's like the master's doctorate program version of Derek Carr. So I have some real concerns about the Browns being able to sit in coverage and and, and a get home on Philip Rivers and b be able to sit in coverage and not have Rivers find the best option on every single drop back. So. If this game is to go how I think it's going to go, it's going to be a chilly weekend. The Browns are going to have to find a way to score points, keep Rivers off the field as much as they can, kind of play that bend but don't break type of defense in between the 20s that we've kind of grown accustomed to, create some timely turnovers as we've also grown accustomed to, and you know, hope for the best. I don't want, We had talked about this guys before, but I don't want to see them drop too many people in the coverage because they drop – and I mean by, by too many people, I mean defensive linemen. They dropped people all year. In that, in that game against the Chargers, they traveled out there. They dropped – I believe this game Danny Shelton got hurt dropping into coverage last year. And, and, and I, just, I just noticed that anytime Rivers is dropping back and he notices a D lineman dropping into coverage, he finds a way to pick it apart, and he did last year. So – they're going to have to do some sugar blitz stuff, show some things, bail on people, but they're going to have to route hunt this week. And if they don't route hunt, it's going to be some embarrassing middle of the field stuff that this is the type of game plan that can really be effective against the Browns. Yeah. 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 Jake, you said, you said that really well, you hit pretty much every point and the Derek Carr comparison was pretty great. I was thinking something similar. Um, so we, we really appreciate your time tonight, man. We're going to let you get out of here. But before you do, we just wanted to say, we just wanted to hear your take on a prediction for this week. I know it's still early in the week, but what do you, what do you think final score and the winner for Sunday week six? So the route to a Browns win this week, I haven't really invested a ton of thought into it. Last year was pretty low scoring. They held them to 19 points. It was 19-10. They beat the Browns last year. I feel like the Browns are going to have to score. I would suspect something along the lines of like 31-24 uh, is, is the sort of thing. You're going to give up three touchdowns to Rivers, but they're going to score all the same. I think missing Joey Bosa affects their pass rush. Obviously, like I said, they still have Ingram, but 
they don't have that dynamic player opposite um, Melvin Ingram, which is which is really a big deal for them. And I haven't looked at what they're doing defensively or how good they are defensively, but I know they've gone through some injury issues out at corner that have affected them. They still have Casey Hayward, I believe, but um, you know their corner issues can be taken advantage of. So we're just going to have to see Derwin James, their rookie safety, who's the the main. Um, he's, he's sort of the main challenger for Denzel Ward on the defensive rookie of the year. It'll be interesting to see how they use him. He's playing the best football for them. I've just kind of clicked on their PFF grades, and he's playing their best football um, is grading out in an 85.8, which is an all-pro level. So that'll be something to see if they take advantage of. But I, I do think they're going to have to run the football well, play, you know, sort of be on the field as much as they can, keep Phillip Rivers on the sideline as much as they can. But I think it's going to be – when you're looking at the over underline, it's going to be if the Browns win, it's going to be that sort of over that 34, 28, 31, 24 type score. Very, very good prediction, sir. And again, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much, everybody. If you're not already check out Jake at Jake underscore Burns 18 and at Browns film BDN. Jake, have a good night, man. Thank you for joining us. Hey, guys, Jake, thanks so much, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure, fellas. Anytime you need me, uh, let me know. I'd love to come on again. Love what you guys are doing. Great stuff over there. And, and uh, you know, my opportunity here is, is, is not underappreciated. Hey, we'll definitely like to have you back later in the year. Take care. Yep, thanks, guys. Thanks again to our guest, Jake Burns. Uh, fantastic breakdown, Mike. He, he really, you know, a lot of the stuff that he talked about is, is stuff that – we see other people and other fans talking about, but but he has a, a way of, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people can verbalize the way he did. And he, just a wealth of info coming through there. You know, you don't always necessarily agree with these film breakdowns because they, you know, we don't know the play calls. We don't know everything. It, it's something we talk about with the pro football focus grades and all that. But you really have to respect when somebody can break it down and, and really verbalize it like that. And I think he hit on a ton of key points. We talked about everything from Mayfield, a guy who was high on coming out of the draft, and uh, talked about the receiver situation, the offensive line, and the defense. And as we head into this matchup against the L.A. Chargers, one of the things we talked about in the intro, we talked about with Jake, is that Phil Rivers has only taken six sacks on the season I think that's a key stat heading into this weekend because Browns are a team that's, you know, when they drafted Miles Garrett number one overall two years ago, they expected to get pressure. Emmanuel Agba, they expect to get pressure. They got a guy, Jannard Avery, in the fifth round that they want to use in that pass rushing role. And Larry Ogunjobi's been providing some interior pressure. But it's going to be difficult to have an impact in that facet of the game against Philip Rivers because he gets rid of the ball so quickly. Um, I think this is going to be a major gut check game for the secondary and the corners, the safeties, uh, the LA Chargers have two running backs who are excelling right now in the passing game. Jake mentioned that Hunter Henry's out for, for the Chargers after gashing the Browns last year. But the Chargers have the capability of doing that, not only with Keenan Allen, but with these two exceptional running backs in the passing game. This is going to be a game where those safeties and those corners have to step up. And with Mitchell out, that's a little bit of a challenge. But we saw Jabril Peppers come up big this past weekend. 
I want to see more of that. And they're going to have to get creative to try and get pressure on Rivers. And uh, another point I want to make, too, Agba, three games, he's batted three passes at the line of scrimmage. One of them ended up being tipped for an interception. So that's another key. If you can't get to the quarterback to get the sack, get your hands up in the passing lane and make a play that way. Oh, yeah, for sure, Justin. I mean, this this week scares me. I, I know that last week we, we picked the Ravens to win. I had them winning a close game, and the, the Browns found a way to win a game that we thought they maybe shouldn't have. And after watching it again, I, I think that they are just as good as the Ravens, maybe a neutral field, probably the same result, maybe not on the road. Um, that just shows kind of where they are so far. None of their games have been decided yet by more than four points. So we did talk about kind of maybe playing down to the competition earlier due to coaching, but maybe also playing a little bit up because of some of the good things that their coaches have been able to do so far. Um, Phillip Rivers and the Chargers offense, to me, represents kind of a nightmare scenario for, for a team that's trying to game plan. They, they, they incorporate a lot of the same elements as the Oakland Raiders do in their in, in their offensive play calling. However, they also have a, a really nasty running attack with a lot of counters and a lot of getting Melvin Gordon in space. And he is a much better athlete than we saw with Alex Collins and uh, Javorius Allen last week and then Marshawn Lynch and Richard the week before. The Browns did do a decent job slowing those guys down in those two games. However, we did see some big break, broken plays on the outside. Specifically, there was a Collins play that comes to mind. He broke an outside contain and got about 15 yards on the left sideline. So that, that element added with the, the quick strike ability and quick processing that Rivers has after the snap. Where he, can, he can diagnose what's happening before the play. He's, he's, he knows what Greg Williams is going to try to do. I mean, at this point, Greg's been in the league for a long time. He's faced him multiple times. I'm just worried about how the secondary is going to hold up, like you said. There's there's definitely going to be a, a lot of underneath stuff across the middle. The running backs are always going to be a threat in every play. And if we the defense doesn't key on those guys and, and, and follow them after the play... And he's going to have an easy day picking us apart for small stuff like we saw the Ravens do last week until it kind of like tightened down the hatches a little bit everywhere. Um, I don't know, Justin. The preview and prediction for this week doesn't have me feeling good like last week. I've, I've seen Rivers do this for a long time. He's He's been one of the best during his career. He has the weapons. He's got Mike Williams, who's coming into his own this season, he's a big player, fast player. He's going to give the Jabril Peppers and anybody over the top a lot of problems in this game, I think, especially with the defense keying in on the, the short stuff we've been talking about. Uh, what, do you, what are you thinking for prediction this week? I'm still, I'm still kind of wrestling with it. I haven't, I haven't really been able to, to figure out where I'm at yet. All right, so I'm going to bring, bring a couple of key points and now make my prediction. First of all, the last team, until a couple weeks ago, the last team that the Browns had beaten was the Chargers with Phillip Rivers at the home. So that, uh, I don't know if that really plays into it so much, but one of the interesting points about that game is that uh, it's this is another 1 o'clock game, and that was uh, the Chargers had come into Cleveland in that game. That was a Christmas Eve game, so it was you know, later in the year where they have um, probably seeing some more elements or at least some temperatures that they're not so familiar with. But uh, 
In this case, it's another 1 o'clock Eastern time game, so it's the Chargers having to make that trip, travel across a couple of time zones, and Phillip Rivers for his career, 21 and 26 in those games. So close to 500. It's not Phillip Rivers because his stats, if you look at his splits, he's very consistent no matter what time of day he's playing, no matter what day of the week, whatever the case is. But it might be a problem for the team as a whole. They, they have to get prepared for that time change, that earlier start for them. And I think this week, actually, I'm, I'm, I think it actually favors the Browns. So I'm going to pick the Browns this week. I think it's going to be 24-21 Cleveland, and maybe we'll uh, see another win on another tipped, miss, uh, another tipped field goal that goes through. Yeah, I certainly, certainly agree with everything you just said. The... Um... The traveling factor, the the time zone changes, that definitely comes into play when you when you got a West Coast team. Like we we saw the Browns go out west, and they didn't seem to didn't seem to bother them too much. However, they had a a lot of errors that we haven't seen in the other games this season. So maybe maybe that'll help force the Chargers into making some more mistakes that they're not they haven't been making to this point. They right now are plus three in the turnover ratio. And they've done a really good job defensively of limiting the running game, except for a uh, Todd Gurley explosion week three. I mean, they, they've done a good job defensively despite having some guys out like we talked about. I think, I think that I am confident enough in what we saw last week after doubting how they'd perform against a team like the Ravens offense that the Browns can get another win this week, which would make that two in a row, which would make them have a winning record and and actually put them in contention for the AFC North, which uh, as of today, I believe they're a half game out of the wild card. I know it's way too early to start talking about those things, but that's something that this team hasn't been able to talk about at this point in the season for, for a long time. So you know, it's an important game. It's a, it's a big test, and I think I'm with you. I'm going to go... Browns 27, Chargers 24. And I think that... So three-point game. Yeah, three-point game either way. I don't, I don't think that there's going to be any kind of blowout on the on the Browns' part. So if they're going to win this game, it's going to be another close one. It's going to have to... They're going to have to get a field goal and some solid kicking, at least one field goal from Greg Joseph again this week. I think last week was, was big for him as a player. And... It's going to give him confidence going forward. I mean, even though it wasn't a clean kick, he didn't get to see it go in. He'll um, he'll use that, and hopefully, it'll it'll pay dividends moving forward. So yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go Browns by three, three, two, and one. What do you what do you think about that? I don't know if they have a winning record going in next week. I might be blacked out um, for next Monday's show. We, 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 we <laughs> celebration, right? Carry on a couple of days. At my age, you know, it, it would take days <laughs> to recover you made from a, a celebrating a winning record. You made a pretty good distinction, though. We will not record shows intoxicated. When you're you'll be hungover, you, you were drunk on Sunday. Is what that means. Maybe carrying over into Monday morning. Well, yeah, or or we just record on Tuesday. Or we might have to do that. So if you guys don't hear us until, <laughs> until Wednesday next week, then you'll you'll know what happened. <laughs> And you'll probably be, you'll probably be with us, so we won't be thinking about week seven until at least Wednesday. Well, thanks again uh, for everyone for joining us again this week. We had a great guest with Jake Burns. Looking forward to more great guests, and looking forward to another Browns victory Monday for 
Mike Hogue, I'm Justin Higdon. Again, he's at Browns Beat. I'm at AFC to NFC. This is the Browns Beat Podcast. Everybody have a good night. Go Browns. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.